Want to learn how to make a B2B website your sales team love because it drives so many qualified leads and is the number one revenue platform for your business? Then stay tuned. Hey, I'm Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com and host of the Top 100 B2B Marketing Podcast Business Growth Show. And if you haven't yet, Check out my weekly emails where I share actual marketing, website, SEO tips, useful podcasts, free goodies, and more. Why not give it a shot over at businessgrowth.email? So this episode was taken from my recent interview on the Marketing Spark podcast. We talk about what to consider before building a B2B website, key considerations around messaging, target clients, and more, the key pages that you need to build out on your B2B website and how to construct them, and how to ensure your website effectively converts ideal clients into a steady flow of qualified sales meetings for your team. So with that, let's dive into the episode. Why don't we start with a nice, juicy, softball question and get you to talk about the biggest mistakes made by companies with their websites. As I talked at off the top, there are some really good companies with great products but their websites are like they cut off their nose to spite their face. And I always find that confusing and troubling at the same time. For sure. There's there's an endless list. I could go on for, for days, but I think one of the most important problems that B2B companies especially make when it comes to their websites is that they do not resonate. And when I say that, I mean they do not resonate with their target clients the actual prospects that they want to engage. And ultimately, most of us, especially in the B2B world, want our website to act as our best sales rep, as our best salesperson, because we want it to fuel our sales team with a steady flow of qualified demos, consult requests, or leads. And the mistake I see so often is that B2B companies are just guessing, really, when it comes to design, messaging, key pages, and quite a lot of the time, they're just building out these websites around their own ego, around what their marketing th team think looks good, around what the CEO thinks look good, or other execs on the team thinks going to work, rather than actually understanding what their target clients care about seeing, learning, or doing before they're ready to take that next step, uh, book a demo, speak to sales. So that's probably one of the most impactful mistakes where, where teams are just guessing about what's going to work on their website and hoping for the best. Well, with that answer, you've opened up a can of worms because there's a lot of different places we could go there. But I think one area to explore is really taking a step back and looking at what a company should do when they're considering the relaunch of a website or they're building a website from scratch. What kind of planning should go into an, a project, a big project, like uh, building a website and where do they start? What are some of the first steps they should take when it comes to launching a website that is going to engage prospects and customers and making sure that it does the job that you want it to do? Sure. So you probably want to take a step back and think about the why. Like, why are we re redesigning? What are the problems that we're facing that have caused this trigger point that we now decide, have decided that we want to redesign and re rebuild a website. Because like you mentioned, it's not necessarily a quick thing. It can take quite a lot of time and resource from your own team 
or from an external agency. So is it because you're spending a lot on maybe ads, maybe you're investing a lot in SEO, maybe you've got an outbound sales team, maybe you're doing content marketing, maybe you're driving a ton of traffic to your website, but you can physically see that it's not converting those hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of inbound demos or leads. Um, so that's a big issue. Maybe you've had feedback. Maybe your sales team have had feedback on calls that your website just doesn't cut it. Like they're landing on your site and they don't really understand what you do. Or maybe they've said, oh, it's actually quite difficult to get this job done on your site. I.e., I can't see pricing easily or I found it quite cumbersome to check out your case studies. Couldn't really see some proof of results or it was quite tricky for me to actually make that demo, or it was a really long form. So you've literally had feedback from the horse's mouth, i.e. your customers, your prospects, that there's certain issues that you need to address with your current site. Um, or it could be something else. It could just be that the website's super outdated, like you built it 10 years ago or five years ago, whatever, and now your complete business model's changed or your service offerings changed and it just misses out vital gaps in the customer journey or, or your offer. So the main thing to nail down first is why are we doing it? And what do we want to get out of this exercise? Like, what are our main goals? Because um, not every, B2, whilst the majority of B2B companies want their website to drive inbound, some don't. Some want to use it as a kind of trust builder, i.e. if most of their business comes from word of mouth or referrals, they want people to quickly see, like, this is the problem we fix. This is how we help. This is some case studies. This is an idea of our pricing. Then make it easy for those referred warm leads to get in touch. So think about what do we want to get out of it? Um, that's and why are we doing it? That's one of the first things. And then you want to think about who is this site for? So which who are the target clients that we want to attract, engage and convert with this site um, and kind of really nail down that persona and quite a useful exercise on that side of things is if you've got a few existing clients, existing customers that are fit what you call the ideal persona. Perhaps you enjoy working with them. You're there. They make good revenue for your company. Um, they fit that, that kind of client style that you enjoy working with. And you can literally sit down with them. And if you've got an existing site, you can say, look, what's what works well about our current site? How do you think our site stacks up against our competitors? Um, what do you feel is missing on our existing website is a really powerful question because that's when they can dive into, oh, actually, you don't have this page or I thought you could have a better case study here, or you actually didn't dive into this question that I had, et cetera. Um, so there's a literal gold mine just by interviewing some ideal clients or prospects by understanding what doesn't work well, because most B2B companies, if they're established, already can have a site. Um, so that's a few starting points. Don't know if you want to dig into that, Mark, before I jump into some more. <laughs> well, I, I'm one of the questions that I'm interested in, it's the classic chicken or egg question, is where does a company start is it copy and content for the website or is it design? Mm. So it should really be copy and messaging um, because otherwise, whilst you can design pages out, it just makes everyone's life harder. Um, because if you're building out like your homepage, for example, and you're just leaving like a few couple lines for your headline, and then as you as the user scrolls down, maybe you've got some images, you've got some examples of your product in play, you've got some social proof testimonies, et cetera. And you're just kind of guessing how much copy, how much space is there's going to be. And then when you actually get to writing it out, it just turns out you've got to tweak the design a bit. So it can it can save time if you get the messaging right. It means you can design around the message, around the copy. It usually makes sense. One of the things that I struggle with with a lot of clients 
and things that I that really trouble me when I look at a lot of websites is messaging, particularly homepage messaging that is uninspiring and confusing. So rather than pull people into the website and start the journey, they actually turn people off. And that's why many of these websites see high bounce rates. And I'm wondering from your experience and the clients that you work with, you know, do they think about messaging on the homepage? Is it an afterthought? Is it something that they should A-B test? I'm just curious about the process and why many companies drop the ball when there's homepage messaging that clearly doesn't work. Yeah, I, I would say it's, it's other pages as well, especially when you get into SaaS um, and B2B kind of detailed complex services that can have a ton of pages around their products, their offerings, their use cases. Those need to resonate because you might be investing in, in ads and SEO to send people to those. But going back to the homepage, yeah, I mean, it's something we advise clients on all the time because um, because of some of the issues I talked about earlier, really, like sometimes companies are too deep in their own offer and they'll do things like they'll talk about, te- they'll use technical jargon to describe their offer that their prospects might not resonate with um, is one issue i.e. someone lands on your homepage and they just see a headline like, we provide AI tech that improves system workflows and makes a all-in-one 360-degree experience. And it's like, well, if I landed on that page, I'd think, what the fuck do you offer? I have no clue what you're doing. And I'll scroll down your page and still be confused and then probably bounce off to a competitor. So that's a major issue. And I often say, if you're not sure how your prospects describe your offer, then you can't go far wrong being super simple, i.e., we do A to improve B or we help X improve Y. Like that's that's a fine starting point. And then once you understand the the actual words your prospects use to describe your offer, then you can go in a bit deeper. Um in fact, there's there's a couple kind of frameworks that I've learned over the years around um homepage headlines. So one is just a simple we do A to improve B. Another one is you can point out the enemy in your world. So if there's a monster if there's a company or if there's something that you absolutely hate, i.e. in our world, SEO might be um, agencies kind of using sales tactics to try and sell you a massive SEO plan that you might not need. Um, so we, we might say something like no jargon, no hard sell, just organic growth for, for your website or something like simple like that, where you literally lay down everything you hate about your competitors and list out their flaws. Um but yeah, I mean the, the simple, the simplest way to say it is with a homepage. If you confuse, you lose. So ultimately, you want to be as clear as possible because if someone lands on that homepage, they want to know what you do, how it's going to help them, and then an easy way to take the next step, whether it's learning more, checking pricing, or booking a demo. Those those are some of the fundamentals before you get into in depth messaging strategies. One of the hypotheses that I have about bad or mediocre homepage messaging is that companies are trying to be all things to all people. They don't want to create messaging that excludes a particular segment of the audience that they think they're after. So as a result, they create messaging that is generic. It's very vanilla-like as opposed to writing messaging that is clearly targeted at their ideal customer profile this product is for you if you have these needs do you find that is a problem when a lot of companies are trying to create messaging that they want to appeal to everybody at the same time 
Oh, definitely. I think probably 90% of B2B companies do that. 90% of companies in general. I mean, just look at a bunch of B2B headlines. Like so many of them just say award-winning, best in class. We just got funding, G2 top rated. It's like, <laughs> you see that 99% of the time, it just goes over your head because it's so vanilla. But when you actually, like you said, Mike, when you drill down into this is the segment we help, this is how we get them results. This is the specific pain point we fix around um, our offer. It helps resonate. And it also means if you're driving traffic, if you're doing like targeted LinkedIn ads, if you're doing target Google ads to, to the specific niches and industries, when they land on something, it's more likely to resonate because you're directly speaking to the pain point that target market has, or you're directly speaking to maybe the goal that they want to achieve or the issues they're having around revenue, whatever. Um, so the juicier you can be, the better. Um, and also, do you want to attract everyone and ever, anyone, especially when a lot of B2B companies have high ticket offers? Um, so if you're just attracting like a bunch of prospects that don't fit the right persona, I mean, what's to say they, they're not going to have cash cash to invest in your offer or they're not going to be the right fit and all these kinds of problems that, that might cause? Yeah, I ran into that. I have a client that is struggling with attracting leads. The problem is they're getting a lot of tire kickers. Right. They're getting people who are not the ideal customer. They don't have the budget. They don't have the needs, but the marketing attracts them and they get to the website and they fill out the ask for a demo form and it turns out they're not really the type of customer they want. And I think it has a lot to do with their homepage messaging. Um, I watched a YouTube video in which you talked about the seven must have pages on a website. Can you quickly run through these pages? And then I'd like to drill down into best practice for a few of them, particularly home about pricing and contact which I see as the key pages, but in many cases, there are, some of them are afterthoughts and some of them just aren't well-designed and, and structured. So why don't you talk about the seven must-have pages and then we can explore some of the, the pages that I think play a key role. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wrote an article and did a video, like you said, a little while back. And in my opinion, this was basically after, because I run a podcast too called Business Growth Show. And just like yourself, Mark, I've in, interviewed a ton of kind of VPs, CMOs, B2B companies, um, and assess like our own website to get an idea of what pages on our own sites, on client sites, on prospect sites, basically get most visited and people actually care about. Um, and usually when someone lands on your site, they essentially want to get a quick idea of what you do, problem you fix, how you're going to improve their life or improve their business or get them certain result that they care about. And based upon the fact you quickly do that with your homepage, and they're probably going to flick to case studies or results, check out, you can do what you claim you can, maybe look at some customer video testimonials, um, look at some reviews on G2, Captera, whatever. Then check out, they can actually afford what you do. So they're going to check out your pricings within their budget. So if you're a SaaS offer, you've probably got three tiers. If you're a service offer, perhaps you say, look, this type of service starts at this rate, this type of service starts at this rate, and this one's at this rate. Um, and then on the basis that you check all those boxes, as long as it's easy for them to speak to sales, like book a demo or book a consult, whatever that CTA is, then they're probably going to get in touch if you fulfill all those boxes and have a website that does the basics right, i.e. decent load page time design that's actually engaging and attracts them um, and, and messaging is right. But I think you're asking for some of those specifics around the pages, right? Yeah, why don't we start with the homepage? Because obviously it's the page that attracts the majority of website traffic. And we've talked a little bit about homepage messaging. Mm -hmm. 
maybe get a little deeper into the role of the homepage, because I think in many cases, you know, people are trying to get a sense of the whole story when, when they visit the homepage. They may not click deeper. They may click into a couple of other pages, but in many cases, the homepage is the page where they find out what the yeah. company does and whether it's relevant to them. Can you talk about what that page needs to have on it so that it gets people into the consideration funnel? It gets them thinking about maybe this is the option for me. Maybe I should click on that button so I can book a demo or, or reach out to somebody. Yeah, I mean, just some high level best practices is that above the fold on your homepage, so as soon as someone lands on your homepage, above the fold means before someone scrolls, then like if we go from top down, you want your, your fixed menu nav, it's going to have your key pages like home, about, services, drop down, resources, contact, and then usually top right, you've got a, a fixed CTA, fixed call to action button, maybe that's book a tailored demo, speak to a sales engineer, whatever's relevant. Um, and usually under that, you've got a, what's called a hero area or a top banner area, and that's usually got your homepage headline where you describe this is the problem we fix, this is how we improve your business, or this is how we're different. Um, then you maybe got a couple of call to actions like uh, book demo or view pricing or see proof of results. Um, I normally encourage companies to have two call to actions there. So for example, on ours, we've got like view our work and then next to it is um, book a call, something like that. Um, then you've got people give people the option to see the results or if they're ready, speak to sell straight away. Um, and then these days you want social proof above the fold still. So that might be sliding testimonials. That might be, we've helped this many brands succeed. Um, that might be some recent logos you've worked with, et cetera, as loads of options you've got on social proof. And then you've got to remember that it's very, very rare that people scroll right to the bottom of your homepage. So you need to pack as much value in that above fold section as possible, like I just mentioned, to really uh, letting people understand your value prop and showing that you've done it for others. And then as they scroll down, you might dive deeper. So if you're a software tool, you might show screens of the key things that people care about around your software tool. You might say, look, this is how, if we're a sales en enablement tool, like this is how we can improve your sales process quick, um, like three times quicker than doing it manually, whatever, and then dive into a screen. So basically, as people go down a bit further along the fold, they're understanding a key value prop. Maybe you've got some more social proof. Maybe you've got some more video testimonials, et cetera, as people scroll down. But remembering the further and further you get down, the less likely people are to see it. So you've got to jam as much value in above that fold as possible. Um, and also a lot of companies still forget to make their menu sticky. So what I mean by that is on mobile and desktop, as you scroll, your menu should still be fixed at the top of the page so people can easily access your menu nav to your pages and also click that main call to action if they want to book a demo or live chat or whatever that is. Um, so that's like homepage. And I think you're asking like in my, in my top seven pages, it was home results, case studies or pricing was the next one, third one, then service pages, about page, contact page, and thank you page is my top seven, but happy to dive into any of those a bit further. Well, the, you mentioned that you want to tease at the product on the homepage. You want to give people a sense of what this thing looks like. When somebody does actually click into the solutions or the product or the platform page, they come with different names. What do you want to show them? Like, obviously you want to give them a sense of the experience. You want to highlight the key features, but you don't want to make it a laundry list of everything they can do with the platform. Because obviously that's not going to be terribly inspiring mm -hmm. and they can learn that if they ask for a demo. So what, yeah. 
should be on the product page to get people excited about what's possible. And I, I, I love that term, what's possible, because you want to tease people, you want to make them curious, you want to get them excited about how their jobs could change if they use this product. So what does that page look like? It's like a great demo, right? So the worst demos I've ever sat on personally is where sales rep just talk about how great their product is for an hour. They don't ask any questions about your current state, the problems you're facing today, where you are now and where you want to get to in six or 12 months. Um, those kind of sales calls are painful, right? Um, it's, it's a lot better when it's a two-way conversation and they're addressing your pain points and, and your goals. Websites are much the same. So if you're going to share your tool, bring up the things that people care about first. And that's mm. where customer research comes in because then you understand like these are the top three pain points people want to fix. That straight away say, look, we understand this is your problem. These are the three main screens, for example, and these are the top three high-level features that are going to directly address these pain points. Um, and then if you want, which a lot of SaaS tools do, they get into each individual use case. So like they might have a drop-down for services or use case. And then you could say like, if you serve manufacturers, IT companies, et cetera, you, you're listing each IT kit, um, each use case. So if people do want to get into nitty-gritty, they can do so. But on your high-level overview, you're addressing directly those pain points in the top three or so features with screens. Um, and some sites now are even doing live interactive demos on their site. Like they're actually letting people see the video demos there. So if people don't want to speak to sales right away, they can actually view a quick video demo. It's another option. The other page that you mentioned that I'm always curious about is the pricing page. And mm -hmm. when I hit a B2B SaaS pricing page and the prices aren't listed, first of all, my, well, my first reaction is, what are they hiding? What is it about their prices that they don't want to show people because maybe they're very high? Uh, maybe they're afraid of, dis of uh, displaying competitive information. So what are your thoughts on the pricing page and what does a company show on that page other than prices and a few, here's what you get, uh, a, a menu of here's what you get for this particular package? Yeah, to be fair, I think a lot of SaaS companies are actually better at this than technology, more custom technology companies, service companies. A lot of those companies are just scared stiff to share their pricing. Yet when you speak to their sales team, they'll tell you, yeah, we're speaking to tire kickers like all the time. We're just wasting our time on these leads that can't afford what we do. Um, and I've had arguments with like people at marketers at Zoom Info, at Cognizant and famous companies because they're, they're not doing it. Um, and I'm sure their sales team, if I spoke to them, they'd tell me, yeah, we get a bunch of tire kickers all the time. Um, now, the reason that pricing pages are probably one of the most impactful pages when done right that a B2B company can do is because... Yes, if you're a SaaS company, you've got three tiers. It's simple to show pricing, um, A, B, C, and then maybe have a high level, quick few points on the, the most common features people actually care about. If you're a service-based company, it gets a bit more difficult. That's when you probably want to give a range, i.e. We, we, we do a silver tier. It's between five grand to 10 grand. We do a gold tier between 10 to 20 grand. We do a, a diamond tier between 20 to 30K as an example. And then you list again the core features. But the good thing about not only sharing pricing is going to qualify prospects in terms of do they have cash to actually be able to work with us, but then you can back up your claims. So as people are scrolling through that page, you can use customer interview videos. Mm. Like this is a customer we had with a similar pain point. 
And this is the problem they came to us. This is why they chose us. This is why they invested the, the money. This is how their this is how their life and business has improved as a result of working with us. You can also use testimonial sliders. You can use brands worked with, and you can answer common questions on that page around pricing. Um, literally, like why are you so expensive? Why are your competitors cheaper than <laughs> cheaper than us? Um, how long does integration take? Um, do I get a dedicated account manager? Um, what are renewals like? Am I locked in on a contract? So all those questions that your sales team are literally getting on a day to day, address them directly. It's going to make prospects less skeptical. It's going to show transparency and it's going to feed your team better qualified leads, thus saving you time and your prospects time. The last page that I want to dive into is the one that I spent a lot of time thinking about. I recently wrote a series of posts on LinkedIn about it and that's the about page. And what triggered my LinkedIn posts was visiting this about page for a very, a very cool company. And what I want to know right away is what you do and whether you're relevant to me. And instead I got this creative, we, we work with, we hire, our company has cool people working for it. And frankly, I don't care about your cool people. I don't care whether you have a cool office. What I care about is me and whether what you do is going to help me drive my business forward and is going to make my life easier in terms of the jobs that I have to do every day. So what are your thoughts on the about page? What does it need to do? What are some of the key elements that need to appear on it? I think the about page is a good one because if you look into your analytics, like if you've got Google Analytics on your site, it'll probably surprise you how many people visit it. Like up until a while, our own about page was the second most visited page after our homepage. Um, now I think it's like homepage pricing and then about, which is still like a significant amount of traffic. And a lot of websites will have similar. And you, if you've just got, like you said there, your about page is like, oh, we're award winning. We've been in business 30 years. Like here's our team, here's our dog. And you're like a really creative company. It's like, who cares? Um, I often advise companies to share maybe a brief snippet about the founder story, why the why the company was set up and what are the motors behind it. Get to the point about the problems that you fix. I typically, we work with this type of business that's struggling with this or frustrated about this and they want to improve these results. Um, so that should be kind of above the fold content. And then I usually advice um businesses to direct to something relevant so maybe we've got a call to action like view some case studies here's some recent work we've done or here's some clients we've helped that struggled with these problems um here's here's our useful resource i a recent article on this or here's our podcast where you can learn more about kind of what we do and get some free tips around the niche that we serve um and then maybe later on if and if you do want to put some key team members like the accounts not the accounts team like yeah I don't know, the customer service team, the tech team, whatever, that's fine. Um, so those are the few of the points that I normally advise. Um, so really, like you said, making it about what's in it for the prospect rather than how great or awesome your own team is. The other area that I wanted to talk to you about, and this is sometimes the most contentious or the most controversial, is CTAs. Great website, great messaging, easy navigation, all the good things that you want on a website. And then people don't see the CTAs. They're not as obvious as they should be, or the CTAs are unidimensional, ask for a demo, or the CTAs are 
just are buried in the bottom of a page. And so you do all this great work and then people don't convert because you're really not telling them what they should do next. So what are your thoughts on, on CTAs and, and, and as important, what are some of the alternatives to the classic B2B SaaS CTA of ask for a demo? Yeah, it's CTA is a funny one. Um, because like you say, probably 99% of SaaS companies have request a demo or book a demo. Um, and I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, CTA best practices, like I said, is homepage above the fold. Most information pages, you want it above the fold and then you want it stuck in your sticky menu nav on mobile and PC. You probably want it a standout color. You probably want it fixed to the top right. So no matter where someone is on the page, they can easily access it. Um, now, with that aside, descriptive call to actions are good i.e. if you describe the exact action that a prospect might take and what the outcome will be as a result of clicking that, but only if they're actually relevant to what your prospects describe your offer as um, or that what they describe they want to do, i.e. if the first stage of your process is booking an audit, maybe that makes more sense than booking a demo, mm. i.e. book your tailored audit if you're more of a complex offer and it's not like we're going to show you a screen share on day one because that's not relevant. Because um, we've got a really complex B2B product or service here and we need a, we probably need to run an audit with you first. Um, so what is it that prospects actually ask you for on sales calls? What is the, how do they refer to your service? Then maybe consider putting that in your CTA um, as the first step. So that, that's something I usually advise. Um, and then you can test it. Like If you've already got a decent amount of traffic coming to your site, perhaps you test a CTA on a certain amount of pages. And if you find that it drops a lot after you change it from demo to something else, you might want to switch it back. Whereas if, if there's an uplift in click-through rate, then maybe you can tell it's working well. So there's nothing wrong with testing those things. Something that I see a lot um, in terms of an issue is kind of decent demo pages or contact pages. So a lot of the time, the actual pages uh, businesses use to capture details are poor, i.e. you've you don't have your contact form or your demo form or your calendar form above the fold. Mm -hmm. Instead, you've just got a load of info about your company and then someone's got to scroll, scroll right to the bottom of the page. I mean, some simple best practices around the demo page or the contact page itself is you can remove menu nav so there's no distraction. You can straight away have like book a call with our sales engineers or whatever that line is, maybe a calendar there or a simple form where people can put their details in. And then um, backing up with social proof because some people might be anxious around what happens next. So maybe you've got a customer review video or some testimonials, maybe underneath it, you've got some FAQs around what happens after I book some time, like explain the actual process after sales, after someone books a sales call. Um, and then another often neglected page is the thank you page. So when someone actually takes the time to book time on your team's calendar, then actually saying, well, thanks very much. We'll, if it's a calendar, we'll be in touch to, to arrange a time or if they've already booked it, um, here's some links to some useful resources. Uh, podcast, video articles, etc. Because sometimes you book a book a demo or contact uh, consult request on a page, and the page just refreshes, and you're not actually sure if anything's happened. Right, right. You're just bamboozled. Like, will they get in touch? Will they not? Whereas if you have a clear thank you page, it just clears everything up and makes prospects excited to speak to your team if you give them some useful resources and kind of show that you're how quickly you're going to be in touch. If you had to pick one widget when it comes to book a demo. Would it be a calendar widget in which somebody picks a time and day to talk to you right away and you, you get some details about what they're looking for? So you can use Calendly or, or TidyCal, or would it be the contact page where they fill out the form, they do all the work themselves, and then they expect you to get back to them with 
details about when a conversation could happen? Or is it both? But if you had to pick one, what would you pick? Yeah, I think generally calendar time. But I'm speaking now I'm speaking to established B2B companies that have a sales force. Um, because then you can use a tool like Calendly or Chili Piper, and then it, you can instantly book the time that suits you. And that gets rooted to the relevant sales rep. So if you've got a team of sales reps, then that is a no brainer. Now, if you're a smaller company and you're going to respond to people quickly, and you don't necessarily need that. You might just have a contact form and then you'll be, as long as you're in, you, you contact them like within an hour or so of the contact form, you can get away with it. Um, yeah, if, you, if you're a, if you're an established company with a lot of sales reps, you need a calendar tool. It's like a no brainer. Right. One final uh, juicy question is we've talked a lot about best practices for website, website design, website content. What are the signals that a, that a company gets that it needs to redesign its website? Something's not working. The website isn't doing the job that it's designed to do. And they have to take a step back and refresh or re rebuild the website. Mm -hmm. So a few of the things we talked about at the start, really. If you're getting feedback on sales calls, prospects are saying things like, your website, I couldn't find this info on there. I didn't understand really what you did. Um, it's missing this page. Um, perhaps they're saying like competitors are doing a lot better. Um, yeah, when, when you're getting those kind of really signals that you do not want to hear, I couldn't mm -hmm. find this, didn't know what you did, couldn't see this, this was difficult to find. That's a telltale sign that something, not necessarily a redesign, but something needs work. Um, so that that's definitely a red flag. Um, or probably the worst one is if you're investing cash or resource from your own team or an external team into advertising or marketing, whether that's SEO, LinkedIn work, LinkedIn ads, paid ads, paid search, um, webinars, et cetera. You're sending all this traffic to your site and you're pretty sure it's coming from like, idle clients, like the channels they hang out on, but it's just not converting effectively. Then that's when you're going to need to have a look at, assess your website, dive under the hood of it, start interviewing um, prospects, Start looking at your analytics. Like, is there a huge bounce rate on the homepage? Okay, something doesn't hit right. Maybe we've got a poor load speed. Maybe our homepage messaging doesn't resonate. Maybe it's difficult for people to get in touch. Maybe people don't trust us quickly enough because they're not seeing social proofs. There's all these things you've got to assess and analyze and then make sensible decisions based on data. One final question is where can people learn about more about you and what you do? Sure. So if you're in the market for free B2B website and SEO tips, then connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Sam Dunning. I post stuff every day. Otherwise, I've got a podcast, Business Growth Show, where I post a bunch of tips and interview B2B leaders. Um, or lastly, if you're perhaps a bit frustrated that when idle clients are searching for what you do on Google, but your competitors are above you, stealing traffic and opportunities, or if you feel like your website isn't converting effectively those hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of inbound, then give us a shout. It's webchoiceuk.com. And there you have it. I hope you found this episode on B2B website best practices useful. As always, if you enjoyed it, a quick rating or review on your Apple podcast or Spotify player goes a long way. Or if you're on YouTube, a subscribe is very much appreciated. And with that, I'll catch you on the next episode. Cheers. Are you tired of the competition, stealing your potential clients and website traffic? just because they rank higher than you on Google for the main services or products you offer? Or maybe you're already investing in SEO or marketing, but your website's failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads. Or perhaps 
You already work with a web or SEO agency, but they're just not getting you the results they promised. Let's fix that. Get in touch with us over at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Mention the podcast and set up a call with Sam to see if we can help you with the results today.